Are you craving community? Do you want to talk to other women about your career, your job, just home life, making more money, maybe how you're losing money, or maybe you just want to sit and listen to other people talk about these things so you can know where to even start? Well, I founded a networking group this year called the Amplify Her Networking Group that does all of that. It is such a beautiful space. We meet two times a month and we're meeting today, July 12th, if you're listening to this today, at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then we're also meeting again next week, July 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I would love for you to join. Uh, Everyone's first meeting is free. So feel free to head to AmplifyHerMedia.com backslash networking, or just go to that link in the show notes here and feel free to join our next meeting. I would absolutely love to have you. This community that we're building is just so beautiful, so sacred, and I feel incredibly lucky to be able to create space and learn so much from other women. I hope you will join and learn as much with us. Um, I hope to see you there. Bye. everyone and welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I'm your host Christina Singh and I am so happy to be back with another episode of this show. Thank you for being here and for listening. The Amplify Her podcast is all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories and I am really really thrilled about our guest today. So Today's guest is Madeline Reeves, and this episode is so gorgeous and vulnerable. We really talk about the waves of life, how things ebb and flow. And if you are a longtime listener of this show, Madeline has been on this show before. So to give a little history, which I do in, during our interview, but just just a tiny bit more, um, I started this show in 2019, I believe, <laughs> and I would really take steps back from it. I was very, very afraid to be consistent with this show, <clears throat> and it still pops up to this day. I took a week off last week because I just needed the time and, you know, this show is something I so love. But at the time, I was really inconsistent with interviews and bringing people on the show because I was just so nervous. I I really didn't know what I was doing. Still don't, but really wasn't sure, you know, what people would think. And 2020 rolled around and I had been taking quite a long break from the show. I think I was edging on nearly a year And I attended an event that was all about um, women and finance and making more money and um, connecting with other women. And Madeline was a sponsor of of this event um, with her company, Fearless Foundry. And this event was actually held by one of my dear friends and past guests of this show, Trisha Tate. And it was one of the first virtual conferences that, you know, was happening during COVID. Like, I just remember everything shut down in March. And I remember 
the concept of attending a virtual conference was just so strange, was so new, um, so odd, but it was something I really wanted to do. And so I joined and I was split up into, um, you know, breakout rooms that we could go, you know, into and, and they were led by certain people having to do with certain topics. And I ended up in a, in a room with Madeline and she talked about the power of money and how money flows. And I ended up in a room with someone who is actually going to come back on this show as well, um, uh, who spilled their guts. <laughs> really, I want to say like, just left it all on the table during this conversation. Um, and it was such a powerful moment of feeling motivated, feeling seen, having this like spark lit back up inside of me to continue with my show and to continue having conversations that, you know, were powerful and felt more powerful and like they could have an impact with other women. So I decided I'm going to ask Madeline. And at the time, it seemed so big to ask her to come on the show for an interview. Because keep in mind, I had only interviewed a handful of people before. And this was all very new to me. And it's, it was such a wonderful experience. It was such a wonderful experience of pushing through fear of really trying to to make small steps that were scary and challenging for me and continue to take them because I knew they would build and build and build and I would benefit from that, especially that growth. And we ended up having a wonderful conversation. But then beyond that, Madeline and I have continued to stay in touch. She has sent me guests for this show She's introduced me to people. She's constantly been someone who thinks of me when wanting to join in on a conversation or invite me to do things or, yeah, she just keeps me in the loop and she's built a business from the ground up and um, it's been so wonderful to see her evolution. And in this conversation, we really got to talk about how you know, things get big and then they get small again in business and then they get big and they get small again and um, riding the waves of what business looks like at its peak and maybe half of that peak. And um, Madeline also shares a lot of personal um, information in this interview. And so I'm just really excited for y'all to hear it. I'm really grateful for her time and for coming back on the show. It felt so strange to think about the the fact that we haven't like sat down and had a conversation like this in three years. Um, Time just moves so quickly, but I'm so grateful for the relationships that I've made through this show and through networking and through just being being open to the process. And this is one of those conversations that um, really came out of all of that, like just trusting and taking action. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Madeline, welcome back 
to the Amplify Her podcast. I am so thrilled to have you back. This is just the best. Last time we talked was three years ago. Oh my gosh, on really? This show. Uh huh. It's wild. Wow. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited to be back. I feel like a lot has happened since last time we talked. 100%. Um, I know we we have talked, you know, online, but we haven't gotten a chance to sit down and do another interview. Um, we always miss each other when you're in town and I it's going to happen next time. Um, but I'm just so grateful because there has been so much evolution, like you said, in between, and I'm excited to talk to you about all of that. The way that, just for people who have not listened to Madeline's episode, it's episode 22. So if you want to go listen to it, please, please, please do. I met Madeline through my friend, Trisha Tate. You were a sponsor at her event, which feels like a lifetime ago. It really does. It was 2020, right? Summer 2020? Yeah. It was yeah. like the spring of yeah. 2020 because everything had really just started to lock down a bit more. Mm-hmm. I went to this conference, this virtual conference, which was not a thing that mm-hmm. was regular. And I was in one of your, um, a breakout room that you were hosting where you talked about money and mm-hmm. where money flows and the soul of money, which is like literally right here, <laughs> which I got because of you. And I remember loving your your chat, loving our talk, and then feeling terrified to reach out to you because mm-hmm. I really wanted to interview you. Yeah. And since then, um, I have interviewed many, many women on this show. And I know you have interviewed many people on your show. And you have grown your business. And we talked a lot about how your business grew in the beginning, like really mm-hmm. the the stuff, like the meat and potatoes of how you got started. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, you know, obviously there's a lot to cover since then, but I've seen a wonderful evolution in your business as far as like teaching others mm-hmm. and having like more of an educational component to your work, um, which has always been there because that's how I met you. But I'm curious, like, has there been a switch in your work over the past three years? Has there been like a deeper evolution that has like narrowed your focus? What's been happening? <laughs> yeah, that's, it's a beautiful question. And, you know, I think like many people who, you know, ran or grew businesses during the pandemic, a lot of shifts unfolded. Um, I was very privileged to be positioned in like a really aligned place for, um, for my business to take off pretty significantly during the pandemic, um, because I was, you know, a virtual first business. I, you know, was, was primarily helping, you know, people grow in terms of digital marketing at the time and branding. And, um, and there were a lot of people who were like, oh my gosh, I have to, the only way I can find business now is through the internet. How do I do that? How do I, you know, show up on social? How do I, you know, blog newsletter, all those things. And so, you know, my business, you know, pivoted during the pandemic, we had started out primarily as a consultancy, and I was, you know, a team of one, and then a team of one plus an admin. And over the course of the pandemic, we grew to as big as a team of 12. Um, And a lot of my team members were focused on content execution, developing marketing content. And we really kind of went down this path of becoming more of a marketing agency. And, um, and it was really incredibly stressful. I've never worked so much or so hard in my life. 
um, the mental load of feeling responsible for that many people's paychecks and like keeping that machine and engine running is really taxing on, on our nervous system. And, and I'll be candid, like, I'm not a great manager, nor do I want to be. I don't aspire to um, keep track of people. I'm more of a get shit done kind of girl who wants to just be surrounded by other people who get shit done. Right. Um, and because of, you know, the different levels of experience and maturity on my team that, you know, that wasn't the case. There were people who needed support and oversight. And, you know, my passion, my biggest heart is in coaching and guiding you know, others, but the more that my team grew, the more I had to pull that energy inside of the company as opposed to outside of the company. And so the bigger we got, the less capacity I had to be consulting on projects or to coach directly with founders because it was like, I, I've got to take care of all these people, you know? And so there were a few things that happened at the start of last year that really dramatically changed the shape of my business. Um, one was, you know, I've, I said to people, it's like, we're, we're, we're the bellwether a little bit for, um, for, you know, kind of shifts in the market, because when you're an external vendor, especially to larger companies, um, when they're feeling cash constrained, the first thing they're going to do is wrap up their external contracts. Right. And so I lost in the first two quarters of last year, about 50% of our gross revenue. Wow. Uh, to and it was it was just in like two or three contracts, but they were really really big contracts and that, you know, was was a sizable hit to our booked revenue for the year. Because of that, I had to make the really hard decision to scale back my team, which, you know, there's there's never a good time to lay off people and 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 this mind you was probably about 6 months earlier than we started seeing layoffs as really be, you know, part of part of what was going on in the world. Um, but, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the work we had versus the team we had were completely disproportionate. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, it, it led to this really, you know, six months of like kind of some dark night of the soul stuff, if I'm being really honest, because there was a lot of reckoning for myself to look at, you know, was the business I built really the business I wanted to be running? Like, I kind of feel like it was like a roller coaster that I couldn't get off in some ways. And when I, when I really sat with myself, it was like, I don't want to be leading a big team. I don't want to be growing at a, at a rate that feels like really untenable, really out of control, really unsustainable. I don't want to be, you know, saying yes to contracts simply because it's going to cover, you know, expenses or payroll. Um, I want to work with people I really like working with. And I'd had a few kind of situations last year where I was burned pretty badly by, by clients who just had really, you know, seemingly aligned values. But when you got under the hood, their ethics really weren't there. Um, and, you know, you feel more pressure to say yes to those things, you know, even if there's red flags when you're like, I got to make payroll in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And so in that process of reflection, I really started to reckon with the fact that coming out of the industries that I had grown up in, um, which was predominantly the tech space, it was like, you know, the mentality that I was kind of indoctrinated into and really believed in was that success was growing at all costs, um, was growing as fast as possible, was burning through cash. You know, those were the business models I was a part of. And so what really came out of this is this awareness of, you know, if we're going to do business in a way that actually feels sustainable in the long term, that um, supports us energetically that helps us be able to have a life, you know, like I've got a family, I've got, you know, things I want to do outside of work. We have to build models that are more regenerative in nature where 
you know, the energy that flows in, whether that's money, whether that's the client, whether that's, you know, the, the projects you're working on where it's giving us the same amount of energy that we're, yeah. we're putting out in the world. And so that's really been, you know, this transformational idea that I would say in the last six, 12 to month, six, 12 months, I've been really trying to unpack and understand and then lean into, and then now bringing that to the clients we work with to say like, Hey, how do we build business in, in this better way? No, oh, I really love that so much. And what a thank you for that gorgeous overview of what's been going on. And the first thing that just popped into my brain that I talk about all the time on the show, and I know you're so game to talk about is it really sounds like so much of the, um, the characteristics of really white supremacy culture um, bleeding into so much of our lives. And for those of you who are new listeners to this show, welcome. <laughs> um, but also uh, some characteristics of white supremacy culture, um, our sense of urgency, individualism, quantity over quality, um, like basically more, more, more right now, now, now get bigger, bigger, bigger. And um it bleeds into so much of our lives um, and really is like fodder for the patriarchy and these systems that uphold all the things that we've been taught are normal. Mm -hmm. And what I love about what you're saying is it's very easy to look at these things and grab at them and be like, yes, this is success. Ooh, yes, I, this is the great thing for me. Oh, yes, I'm going to have all of these boxes and tick them all. Um, but the sustainability bit is, I think, what's really so important, because mm -hmm. when you really take a look at these characteristics, they're not the ultimate solution. They're not the sustainable method and the way that we want to go about things to be regenerative, like you were saying. And so I, I immediately that was the first thing I thought of, because I was like, oh, yeah, we're all like really programmed to go, go, go and be a part of the machine, especially when we're getting the validation of how amazing is this work that you're doing? Mm -hmm. And it's so great because you do amazing work. Mm -hmm. um, but I love that you acknowledged the change that needed to happen in your company and within you and then within your clients. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's um, it's really hard sometimes to say no when you said, like you said, you have a team of people and you're supporting them. Um, so that was the biggest observation that's coming out of this mm -hmm. is like, oh yeah, these characteristics are really so prevalent in so many of our lives. And I'm curious now that you've had this like regenerative approach and you're really looking at a healthier, you know, mm -hmm. approach of doing business, what do you, what are you, what kind of conversations are you having with potential clients when they're coming to you? Um, because I think that a great strength of a company or a coach or whoever is saying like, we're not the best fit. Like I really yeah. want to help you. So what yeah. are sort of, what are these conversations looking like now? Yeah. So that, that piece you just mentioned is really one of them. So this, this um, recognizing of like, what is the work that we want to be doing? And also what's the work that we know that we're excellent at? Um, because, you know, part of the way we got down that agency path was just being like, well, yeah, we can do that. Oh yeah, we can do that. Oh yeah, we can do that. 
and we can, like my team was and is very capable and I'm a super multi-passionate creative person. And there's a lot that I can do and figure out. Um, but also recognizing where are our strengths, you know, and, and where do we want to spend our time and, you know, also educating those clients of like, actually, you know, this is something that requires a different level of expertise. So a great example of that is um, digital advertising. You know, everybody, you know, it was like the wild, wild west of the pandemic was like everybody hopping on and trying out Facebook ads because it was like completely unregulated. Everybody was claiming, you know, you could make an insane return. And in some instances you could. And we knew enough to be effective in that space. But every client thought that they were going to basically win the lottery the second they put one ad online. And to be honest, those tools and systems change so rapidly that it requires somebody who's dedicated that all they do is, is you know, be an ad specialist or or, or, or to be a, a paid media specialist. And yeah. so, you know, we've gotten more confident at saying like, that's not really work we like doing and, and we don't have somebody who's dedicated to it full time. And so we've shifted our strategy to really focus on building strategic partnerships. And I feel really fortunate. I'm now a part of a Slack channel that has like, I think there's like 40 of us, like female agency owners, and each of them, you know, is pretty niche in their focus. And so when I have something come my way where I'm like, you know, like I had one last week where it was like, you know, somebody who is looking to, you know, build out their personal brand on Instagram further to set them up to be doing more influencer type work because they're, you know, a world renowned athlete. And I was like, that's super cool. And that's also not my market. And I don't know that strategy, but I could go straight to that Slack channel and be like, here's the deal. Like who wants this? And that feels so good, right? right. Too, to also be able to pass business between other, you know, women um, run agencies the other thing I think that um, that we're doing, though, a lot more diligently is spending some time with the client earlier on and really mm-hmm. having deeper levels of conversation um, to validate that the person is really kind of who they say they are. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've always built companies that are pretty um pretty, pretty bold in terms of the way that we express our core values and the conversations that we're a part of. Um, and and I'd like to think that that does a pretty good job of filtering in and out, you know, people who are right. a fit from a values perspective. And for the most part, it does. Um, but we've had one or two pretty rough circumstances over the past couple of years where people have kind of um, hitched themselves to our bandwagon because we are very good at marketing from that place. And then we uncover under the hood that actually, you know, they are just pink washing or rainbow washing or basically like using values-based marketing as a way to drive a product when actually the way that they're operating their business is pretty white supremacist, pretty patriarchal in nature. And that's a really hard thing. And, and you know, obviously this is your show, so take the conversation where you want to, but no, I'm really- No, yeah. Like, I'm really glad you brought up the notion of patriarchy because I see that as kind of the next layer of work that women and particularly women in the entrepreneurial space need to do um, because I see a lot of us enacting and embodying the patriarchy in the way that we do business and then like calling that good business or calling that women's empowerment. And a lot of that affects the way that we operate. A great example is like, you know, women in business were perpetuating this stat of like less than 1% of female founders get to a million dollars in net revenue. And 
you know, so every woman made it her goal to get to a million dollars. You know, every woman I know, it's like it was this arbitrary thing and it was wild (laughs) how pervasive it was. And then you talk to women and you ask them about what their goals are or what that million dollars will unlock. And we don't really know. We don't really know what it's going to take or what it's going to cost us to get there. And then we're not even addressing the systems that make it so hard for us to reach that point in the first place. And so, you know, there's a lot that I could unpack there, but I just think that that's one of the biggest things for me is that I really am looking out for now is, you know, okay, you say you want to do, you know, business woman to woman, but are you going to show up with scarcity? Are you going to undervalue my work? Are you going to you know, be respectful to my team. And, and, you know, that's some stuff that maybe takes a little bit of time to really suss out with folks. Yes, absolutely. I think that there can be a lot of mystery around revenue and how revenue can come in sometimes as well. And, or or expenses, you know, like what are you spending your money on? How, how are people working for you? How are you respecting the people around you? And I think those things, 100% matter when it comes to business and really unlocking uh, equity and unlocking what's going on behind the scenes and who is front facing versus who is not and maybe in more of an administrative role. I think like those things I've seen really, you know, dominating a lot of conversations and like the five revenue streams to hit a million dollars and like Mm -hmm. all of those things. I think it can be not only um, like this strange, like boss babe myth, almost Mm -hmm. like this lore, Mm -hmm. but also really unrealistic for a lot of people Um, and unrealistic for, you know, how much time and work and energy it takes because it is hard. And Mm -hmm. so I'm curious, you know, uh, I I know we talked about your clients and I really want to keep going and diving into this, but I'm, what do your clients look like and, Mm -hmm. and who do you primarily work with? Because I'd love for listeners to better understand that piece. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we've really kind of honed into this, I would say over the last six months. And it was, it was through a lot of um, you know, really looking at, you know, we, we've done, you know, dozens of projects over the past couple of years and really kind of looking at those holistically and saying, okay, of the ones that we really loved, the clients we really loved, you know, what are the qualities that they possess? What are the, what are the values they possess? And, you know, if we could clone them, why, why would that be? And, you know, we, I really, I really think of my ideal clients these days as I call them industry innovators. And they're typically someone who, you know, has has committed their life or their career to a, to a certain, you know, vocation, whether that's, you know, the world of medicine, the world of education, the world of technology. Um, and they're really deeply dedicated and invested in that space, but they're also deeply frustrated with it. They are a big believer that there is something about that industry um, that is really broken. And, and typically they, they often think about it at the systemic level, which as a cultural anthropologist is my background, like I really (laughs) vibe with to say the least. Um, but, but as a result, you know, they've dedicated so much of their life to this one space that they're like, there has to be somebody to fix this. There has to be somebody who can solve it. And they've, they've tried, you know, they've worked in maybe a a large leadership position in a, in a private company or in a nonprofit or things like that. And eventually they have this reckoning that's like, I've got to be the one 
to change this. Mm, and so yeah. they, they, you know, do this big pivot and they're typically, you know, their work is in some sort of, you know, direct um, capacity, you know, whether it's through coaching, consulting, doing programming, um, you know, doing, you know, some big development initiative. And, you know, their goal is to now scale that model so that they're not just working, you know, one-to-one contract to contract, but instead, you know, are able to reach more people typically through developing an online presence. Um, and, and that like ideal client, like sometimes has like little nuances. Like I've very much worked with folks who are, who are entrepreneurs as well. So they're kind of an innovator who has that same, all the same qualities and persona, but they're inside of an organization, maybe Ah. at the at the director or executive level, but they're launching a new initiative that they think is going to really change change the face of, of the company. Um, but yeah, our people are always, are always change agents. Um, and what else I love about them too is they're they're deeply professionals in their field, and therefore they have a lot of respect and understanding of like. I'm really great at these things and you're really great at your areas of expertise. (laughs) And then they want to work with, you know, another professional peer who can be a sounding board. Um, But there's a level of humility that comes with that too, because the hardest clients to work with are the ones who think they know everything or like read something on social media and then are like, oh, I think we should be doing this, um, but are not really informed or, or, you know, don't spend all their day in the world of, you know, marketing and branding and business development that I live in. Um, and so it's a lot better to work with people who who respect, you know, okay, you're the expert here and I'm the expert over here. Um, mm. And that's that makes for a really great working dynamic. I agree. I think that's um, really gorgeous. And I love the the deep systemic work that can just naturally pop out of you. And I've actually talked about that a lot on this show where you're doing the work and then you realize you want to see people around you that look like you or talk like you or are you? And you're like, Oh shit, I'm that person. Like I'm the one that has to be the person to step out and, and do this work. And so I really, really adore that. Um, I know you're always taking action. You're always on the move. I love seeing your posts when you're traveling all the time. What is the biggest action that you found was the hardest since mm. we've spoken? Oof. I have to marinate for a second. <laughs> yeah, feel free. Mm. And it doesn't have to be personal. It can be whatever you want. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to go personal. Um, okay. I, you know, I, over the last um, three years have been making the hard decision to end my marriage. And that correlated a lot to what was going on in my work world. And, you know, the shifting dynamic in my business, you know, oftentimes showed up in my relationship. And, um, and my work is, is, you know, something I'm deeply passionate about, but it can also be a super super good distraction. You know, it's really, I'm, I'm like an Enneagram, you know, three wing two, like I can throw myself into work and achievement. And oftentimes when you don't feel recognized or validated or affirmed in your relationship, it's very easy to then double down, triple down, um, into your work life. Um, so that you can get, you know, maybe that affirmation that you're wanting or needing. And, um, about a year ago, I, you know, decided that, you know, I was going to give my relationship like one last, you know, try and really pivot my attention towards, you know, my marriage in a way that I hadn't been giving because I'd been so dedicated to my to my company. 
Um, and there was kind of an ongoing narrative in the relationship of like, you know, it's me or the business kind of kind of thing, or like right. this feeling like the company was always taking away from um, their relationship. And so I, 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 you know, pointed my energy back towards towards that relationship in hopes that that would change the dynamic. And you know, did that for about six months, and that had a huge impact on the way I showed up for my work. And it definitely reflected in the kinds of projects we we had show up. Um, because I am the face of the company in many ways. And so for me to kind of draw back and go inward for a while, definitely, you know, impacted our ability to grow. Um, and the hardest part about it was in the end, I still came to the same decision. I still came to the right. decision that I needed to choose myself and that, you know, the type of partnership that I hope to be in in the future would be something where, you know, my ambition and my, you know, and the work I do would not be seen as, you know, an antithesis to having, having a healthy supportive partnership. And so, you know, that's been really hard and it's, it's hard too, because, you know, especially with kids and, and, you know, having, you know, following on social media and things like that, like there's, there's like this dance you have to do of like, yeah. you know, how much can I show, how much do I keep private, you know, and, and also of, um, you know, just like you still got to like get up and do the work. And like, if you've had like a really hard emotional day, that's like, you know, kicked your ass basically, but you still got to get, you know, a project done or things like that. Um, so it's been a big journey for me, especially over the last six months to really be a little bit gentler with myself. And I think it's teaching me that like, I don't have to be at a hundred all the time. And like, in fact, like I'm really in this season where I'm prioritizing like my healing and like prioritizing my kids and just trusting and being okay with the fact that like my business might be a little bit smaller or slower, you know, for the, for this period. And then, and then when I'm ready, you know, I can come back to it in a different way. Um, but that's been a big, big change for me because I am, yeah. I'm not used to doing that at all. I mean, yeah. Thank you for sharing that and for, yeah. for, um, just being really vulnerable and putting that, you know, out there. I think that really ties into just how authentic you are in sharing. Um, yeah. Just like sharing how you want to operate in the world, how you want to operate your business, how you want to be there for others in your life. And um, I think that there are it, it's a really challenging position to be in in general to be someone who has a big thriving business and wants to have a big thriving everything you know mm -hmm. and i think that um that also just goes into so much around like expectations around women and mm -hmm. expectations around women at home mm -hmm. and going back to the patriarchy because it mm -hmm. always really does come back to that when you are looking at this i really kind of hate to say work life balance but really mm -hmm. looking at that like were there messages that were coming through to you um that just didn't feel so right like were you battling that whole notion of quote unquote having it all and and like you know, we know women are doing more domestic labor at home. We mm -hmm. know women are doing more unpaid labor. And mm -hmm. so were you battling those pieces in conjunction with your, your work life? To totally. And I think this is one of those areas where, um, 
where there's some shame for sure, because, you know, so much of my life's work is around empowering women. And I, I remember, I remember having this conversation, you know, with one of my coaches at a, at a certain point in time and kind of thinking about like, what would a penultimate moment be like? What would be a moment, you know, because, because you get to these points where you're like, I'm striving, I'm striving, I'm striving. Like, what is, what is, what is the moment where I feel like I'd accomplished something? And I'd kind of had this vision come to me of being at, you know, like a big, a big conference, like a, a, like a tech awards conference or something like GeekWire or something like that. And, and, you know, being on the stage and accepting, you know, some recognition of my work and then realizing that like the person that would have been on my arm wouldn't have even been able to have small talk in that room because, you know, when he was asked what his wife does, he wouldn't really know the answer. And, and, and then like, would I even have been celebrated in that moment? And a lot of my career changed because of my partner. And, and this was a big thing that really fucked with me over the past year was that I, you know, I had this whole narrative, this whole story of like, I, I built my business because I wanted to and girl boss and, you know, female founder, this and that. And I look back and had this moment where, where basically my subconscious smacked me in the face and was like, did you start a company because you wanted to or because you had to? And people who do know my story know that, you know, I was, I was, you know, a rising tech leader. I was on the path to becoming a technology executive. I was a senior level global director and um, I had had my second child and I had asked for the ability to work remotely a couple of days a week. And granted, this is back in 2018. And, um, you know, I, I said, you know, can I, can I work, you know, two days a week remotely and, and be in the office three days? Cause I had moved um, and the commute was about an hour and a half, two hours. And the company offered me three fifths of my salary and said, you can drop down to part-time. And, you know, it's wild because right, like that company is entirely remote now and, and, you know, all of these things, but I recognize the way in which there's a lot of women who become entrepreneurs, myself included, because we don't feel like there's another path for us to be right. able to show up as the mothers that we want to be, as well as the, you know, the employees or, you know, work people that we want to be. And, um, and I just felt like, why am I going to continue to pour all this time, all this labor, all this commuting into a company that's going to put on a, a cap on my potential. And when I ask for flexibility, not give it to me, then like just taking a bet on myself. But what I didn't predict or what I didn't know, because I hadn't really gotten to that point yet was you know, how much it would take for me to build my own thing and what kind of partnership would be required to be an entrepreneur and have, you know, two working parents. And I will say that, you know, that was a big reason why my marriage came undone is that the equity that I so deeply believe in was not something that was being upheld in our home. And because I was the entrepreneur, it was like, you know, you're the flexible one. And so there was always this feeling of my work wasn't as important. Um, and, and that I, you know, there was a constant state of compromise. There was a constant state of like, just feeling stressed. And like, I had to like, get everything done in this shorter span of hours so I could rush to pick the kids up from school. And then, you know, and we tried every combination. I mean, I had a full-time nanny. I had both kids in before and after care or daycare. Like I tried every, every version yeah. 
And at the end of the day, every single version was I had to earn more to outsource the domestic labor to another woman who I felt like was being underpaid to do that work. And I was like, that's not fucking success to me. Like that's not winning for me to have to do, you know, to, to earn circles around my partner so that I can just pay another woman to watch my kids um, or to clean my house or whatever that thing is, because I don't have the capacity and I don't have the support to, to, to work otherwise. And I'm still kind of navigating that. I have a yeah. have a have a youngest who's been out of daycare. There's not a lot of available daycare in our area, and so I've been kind of juggling, um, you know, with with the help of some a babysitter and things like that. But it's it's not a perfect system, and and it it kind of just baffles me because it's like, and I know so many women who feel this way, where it's like when their partner's working, it's like he's at work, you know, and I'm like, man. I can't even, I've lost count of the number of times I've had to give a major presentation, you know, with a kid pulling at my, at my pant leg, you know, meanwhile, I've never once seen him, you know, go to a day of work with kid in tow. And so it's, it's still something that I think a lot of women feel. And I think that the pandemic only exacerbated that. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm still in it. Like I'm still navigating it. Yeah. I'm still processing my feelings around it. But a lot of it came down to um, if you cannot see the inequity, you can't change it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if if you're not um, aware that there's a system in place that's perpetuated more time off, and you know, we as women are still kind of climbing this uphill hill, uphill battle. If you're not at least in a partnership with somebody who can see that and say like, okay, like I see it, we've got to do something about it. Um, it's really hard to, to feel like it's ever going to change if that's not the way your partner, you know, if you're not, not seeing the world in the same way. One hundred percent. And it's not uncommon. And that's the thing that is so frustrating is I am sure so many women who are listening to this can relate to the words that you're saying, um, who are even in partnerships where they feel more supported or who feel more of what they need, what they need. I know I certainly can relate to some of the things that you're saying, um, because there is this expectation that women will be the caregiver, that we will be able to juggle these things. And that, uh, I mean, that our time is just not the same, that it's, it's just not um, the same as a man's time. And Mm -hmm. it's so unbelievably frustrating because it's just not the case. And there have been so many um, studies that have come out that have shown that the pandemic made it so much worse for women um, when it comes to domestic labor and that, you know, women were the, and women of color in particular, are the people who faced the brunt of inequity at home during that period of time. And I think none of us are shocked like mm-hmm. that that would have been the case. But I think something that is so um, meaningful, when I, when we first spoke, I was pregnant. I hadn't mm-hmm. had my son yet. And he was about, he's now going to turn three in September. And I think what I didn't know um, was the push and pull that I would feel, you know, like the, the desire to, 
when I was pregnant, I had this like such a swarm swell of like, I need to do the things I really want to do. I want to get all the things out there. I want to um, get these things done and I want to pursue my goals. And my son was born and I had really bad postpartum anxiety, but I remember feeling like I want to be with him, but I still have all these things that I want to do and I want to achieve and I want to build and I want to spend the time on it. What I think is so strange is that it's then viewed like that, those dreams, that time is then viewed as almost like extra, Mm -hmm. like it's almost viewed as, um, well, this is first and you're like, your, your motherhood is first and foremost, your only identity, the most important identity. And for some people it is. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really, really important, but in putting that firm, definitive identity on people. It's not allowing for any other stuff to filter through Mm -hmm. for any other aspirations, dreams, even just opinions on on matters to filter through without being critiqued or without, um, you know, a system in place of just not understanding those needs. I mean, look at the laws in our Mm -hmm. country right now. Look at what we're facing right now. There is a deep ineptitude of understanding what we need and Mm -hmm. how we exist in this Mm -hmm. world. And so I think what you're speaking on, speaking on, excuse me, is, um, is deep and it's a, it's a inside look to one household. That is a not so uncommon thing Mm -hmm. for many households. Mm -hmm. And from what I've seen online, I think there are a lot more conversations happening that are addressing it and a lot more people addressing it. Um, But there's a long way to go. I'm sure you're also feeling like there's a lot of healing happening inside of you and a lot of like, ah, yes, me, my voice out there in the world, me, my actions. Like, how is that looking for you right now? Well, I love that you brought up the identity piece um, because I feel like a lot of what I'm doing is, is, now having the capacity to explore my own identity and my own um, needs, wants, wishes, desires, dreams. Um, Because a lot of, you know, what you do for better or worse when you're in a partnership is it's all kind of in the context of we, you know? And so it's, you know, what are our dreams? What are the goals we're working towards? And, And when you uncouple, you know, you have this opportunity to turn back towards yourself And, you know, I became a mom super young, um, no regrets. My son was very much a choice I made. Um, But when you become a mom at 20, um, there's so much of your identity that is shaped solely around your motherhood. And then you don't really know yourself in a lot of ways. You don't really know, you know, what it is you like to do for fun (laughs) because you've, you've only ever done things that, you know, are kid friendly. You know, you don't really know um, what, you know, what you would, you know, where would you go on vacation? What would you cook for yourself? How would you dress, you know? And a lot of those things were defined by the roles I was playing, whether that was wife or that was mom. And, you know, my kids are getting a little bit older. My youngest is five. My oldest is about to turn 12, which feels wild. 
Um, and I'm starting to have this space, you know, partially because I'm not with them all the time anymore, but also just because I feel like I'm creating space in my life to, you know, really connect with these other sides of my identity. And that in itself is super healing. Um, and so for example, like I, you know, came out, um, gosh, I'm like 21, 20. I don't know. It feels funny (laughs) because it's like coming, when you come out later in life, you're like, I always was. So did I have to announce it? But you know, I came out a couple of years ago and that, you know, that exploring my queer identity and being, you know, attracting queer friends and being in queer culture and community has been, you know, a whole opening and a whole healing journey for me. Um, you know, fashion, like I, you know, ironically, the other thing that I was going to go to school for um, was fashion design. And so just, you know, waking up each day and saying, you know, how do I feel called to dress? You know, what makes me feel good? Um, And then a lot of self-care too, you know, a big part of this ritual, a big part of this season is just taking that energy that I've spent so long externalizing and turning it back towards self and and sometimes it's really simple things. I mean, it was like yesterday was a total self-care day. And it was, you know, some 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 are very, you know, practices I'm committed to, like yoga and meditation and things like that. But some of it's just like, you know, zhuzhing up my house a little bit, fixing <laughs> yeah. little things that need tending and mending, you know, getting body work done. Um, and 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 just, you know, really again, just continuing to ask that question of like, what do I need today? Um and 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 not being restrictive. Oh, let me say that again. Is the background thing? Um, not being restrictive, like not being prescriptive in it. Um, you know, I have a lot of achiever type tendencies that can turn that into, you know, something that it really isn't joyful. Where I'm like, I got to work out for this much, and I got to do this, and I got to, and then it doesn't feel like care at all. It feels like a to do list that, mm-hmm. like, if I don't accomplish it all, I'm being myself up. And so, you know, at the advice of a dear friend, it's it's like this ongoing practice of like, it's going to be different every day. And some days I'm just going to need a nap, you know, or some days I am going to need a long walk or time in nature or whatever that is, but, but really just continuing to show up for myself and ask myself that question so I can tune in and listen and say, okay, today, yeah. you know, that care looks like this. Oh, I love that so much. And I think it's really important. Um, that I connect the dots to the first, to the beginning of this interview, because I mean, so much of what you've talked about is really flipping things on its head and, and looking at, okay, what is necessary? Like, what is, what are the like integral components for my company to feel great, for me to feel great, to feel restored. And I really love that. Um, there's like a beautiful bookend of that for business and for you. Um, I do want to quickly touch on money because the last time we spoke, we talked a lot about that. Um, and I'm, I, you do not have to answer this if you don't want to, but, um, I'm always curious how much revenue does your company bring in right now? Oh, um, I'm like, how much? Um, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure because this year's been really different. I think on average we're doing somewhere between thirty thousand and forty five thousand a month, but we've had some months where we do fifty thousand. My goal for this year, I think, is to do around half a million um, in gross revenue, and um, that's a big 
jump backwards. So like our gears just to to kind of walk mm. people through it was like year one was 150-ish, 140-150. Year two was um 450. Mm. Year three was 964. And then last year we were closer to 700. And so um, but it's actually the focus for me is profitability. Mm-hmm. I would much rather run a company that makes a half a million dollars and lets me take home, you know, half of that in profit than I would like to run a company that is a million dollars and costs me a million dollars to run. Yeah. Um, and again, going back to our discussion around sustainability and things that are regenerative, um, I'd rather work on fewer projects that are super high quality with clients that I really, really love then, um, you know, just be chasing the fiction of like, if I get to a million dollar revenue milestone, <laughs> I'll become something that entirely beautiful different. Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. You're right? all hearing all the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, I think that's the thing that's so important is, is that, that we should work on as women when it comes to the conversation around money is kind of like, I, you know, I don't want to shame or blame anybody who was a part, cause I was a part of it. Like the, let's all get to a sure. million kind of kind of narrative. But I think it's time for us to evolve beyond it. And really what my focus is, both in the work I'm doing with female founders, as well as the work I'm doing with myself is this reckoning of like, what is enough? Like what, Mm -hmm. you know, because because capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy is all about, like you said, more, 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 more. And that's not sustainable for us energetically, but that's really not sustainable for our planet either. And and the people who inhabit it. And so, you know, really what I'm working to do is help people establish a vision for like, what is the life that you want to live? And if your business is a vehicle to you being able to build that life, okay, now let's work those numbers backwards. Okay. You want to take home 10,000 a month. Great. What's that with taxes on top? Okay. Now let's look at that expenses inside your business. Let's add all of those numbers up and say, okay, this is the revenue marker you need to be at. And then you're at your enough. And it doesn't have to be this push of like more, more, more for the sake of more. Um, And that, you know, I think that's the next chapter of conversation that we need to have. But that's a that's a going inward um, of, you know, saying like, okay, like my truly fulfilled life looks like this. And then here's the resources I need to sustain that. Um, And that's an ongoing process that also changes. And so I think that's the other thing is like, you know, my vision for my life in this season and what I want my business to build and be in this season, you know, is different because I really, I want to be a little bit, you know, more free to focus on my kids and I want to, you know, not be beholden to as many people. Um, but, you know, as they grow, that's, that could and and will change. And, right. and, and so I'm super open to that too. Oh, I love that so much. It made me think of like, what what sort of like ethical legacy do you want to build for yourself and for others? Like, I think that is really gorgeous. Um, Thank you so much for this conversation. It was just lovely to catch up with you and to just talk about your evolution over the past three years. And you've certainly had such an influence on me and um, my own evolution. And you're such a connector as well. We didn't even touch upon that, but you're such a connector. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you and if they want to potentially work with you? Yeah, so I'm on on all the things. Um, I I on social media, I'm at it's Maddie Reeves. Um, so that's I T S M A D D Y R E E V E S, and my company is called Fearless Foundry. So we're at Fearless Foundry and FearlessFoundry.com, and 
pretty much any of those channels you can you can find me in some way and um and get in touch beautiful well madeline thank you for being here i really appreciate you and if you're listening to this um thank you for listening number one and never forget that your voice matters and your story matters and we will see you on the next episode of the amplify her podcast bye I am so grateful that you've listened to this episode of the Amplify Her podcast. If you're listening to this and you don't follow the show, one thing that would help the show tremendously is if you open that Apple app, if you're listening to it on Apple, click on the title of the show and on the top right hand corner, click that plus sign so you don't miss an episode. Not only does it help me to grow this show, but it helps you to be in the loop when episodes drop every Wednesday and every Friday. If you're listening to this show on Spotify, click on the show title of this episode to take you to the full listing of them and click follow. That way you won't miss a new episode as it comes out. For more information about the Amplify Her podcast, Amplify Her media, and the Amplify Her networking group, head to www.amplifyhermedia.com.